read the passage for us. I'm going to be reading starting in verse 18 all the way to the rest of the chapter, but tonight I will only be commenting on verses 24 through 29. I'm going to read the passage for us and I'll pray and we will go from there. Let's read this passage. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice of whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. O oh, Father, we ask now that your spirit would speak, that you would give us humility, Lord, for we know that your word teaches that you give grace to the humble. But Lord, you oppose the proud. And so, Lord, may none of us here in our pride think that we have nothing to learn. May none of us, Lord, in our, in our pride think that we're doing fine without you. Convict us, O oh Lord. Teach us and remind us again of the glories and the beauties that are in Christ. We praise in his wonderful and holy name. Amen. As I mentioned, I took a little trip to California. And growing up in California was a neat place because you can kind of move two or three hours in any direction and you can get whatever kind of recreation you like. If I went two hours straight west, I was at the beach. If I went two hours kind of a little inland and north, I was at the mountains. There was lakes everywhere. There was stream fishing, um, just everything. I mean, I think California is known for that, having all three different types of terrain, desert, mountain, and coastal. And one thing in particular, though, that I have a really fond memory of in California is river rafting with my friends in high school. And there was one trip in particular, and I, I should have brought the picture, but I forgot it. But I have me and my two brothers, 
and we have all of our closest friends together in a picture. I think there's like 10 of us. Um, Many of these guys stood in my wedding. Um, One of them, unfortunately, even passed away. So when I look at that picture, there's like a sense of nostalgia, kind of the good old days. Um, But something about that trip reminds me of when you're driving up the mountain to go river rafting where we went, uh, the place is called the Kern River. And there's this huge sign as you're entering, you know, this place to river rafting that says, warning, huge sign, you can't miss it. River is deadly. And then what, what is so interesting, what catches your eyes is it tells you how many people have died in the river. How many people have died in the river? And here's the thing, and I, I've gone up there a number of times. Every year, the number goes up. Another interesting thing, when I lived in Chicago, you're driving on the freeway, um, they would have how many people have died in car accidents in the state of Illinois. And I remember one time, it was like July 2nd, I noticed there was like 650 deaths. I looked again on July 6th, right? And it jumped up 100 in four days. Why? Fourth of July weekend, right? And I remember another time too where I saw December 31st, the number, and then I was driving home late New Year's Eve and it said zero deaths, you know, on New Year's Day. A couple days later, the number goes up. Warning, this is deadly. Warning, do not drink and drive. Warning, wear your seatbelts. We see warning signs all the time. And some of those warning signs, that they, they, they do stick out to us. It's, it's unusual to see a warning sign like that because typically the warning signs that we see are the little tiny fine print warning signs that come on the side of a toy where it says, warning, if you swallow this, this may hurt you. <laughs> warning, this may cause a fire, which you're holding a lighter, you know, like, of course it's going to cause a fire, right? But there's a sense because we see so many warnings on small print that we tend just to overlook them. When my dad first taught me how to drive, he made me super paranoid. Don't you even think for a second of checking your phone when you're driving. If I hear that you checked your phone while you're driving, I will take these keys away from you faster than, you know, whatever he said. And it's funny, when I first started driving, I really stayed pretty good about making sure that I never checked my phone. But get a little more confident just this one time, just here and there. And next thing you know, that you completely overlook the warning. The whole book of Hebrews is really one preacher's warning to people to not forsake Christ. He's had warning after warning after warning, and we've looked at all of these through the book of Hebrews. And at the very end of the book, he wants to give that one last final push. Like, you know, sometimes when you guys listen to me, I'm preaching, I'm preaching, I'm preaching, and you can tell I'm getting to the end of the sermon because maybe I brought, I'm bringing back what I brought up in the beginning of the sermon. Like, tonight, you should listen. If I bring up big warning signs, that typically means that the sermon is about to end. 
And in the same way, the author of Hebrews is bringing back this great warning of do not think that Christ is of no significance. Do not think that you can take Christ lightly. We have seen how Jesus is better than all of the angels. He is better than all of the prophets, especially even Moses. He is better than all of the sacrificial systems. He's better than all of the priests. He speaks a better word than everything. And so if you do me a favor, just look really quick at Hebrews chapter 2, because I think this passage that we're considering tonight is really just a re-summary of this first warning passage that we saw in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You know, the author of Hebrews has been telling us, like, listen, if the Old Testament people who got their message from angels and prophets, if, if they were held accountable and were judged by the message that they heard, the argument is this. How much more then will you be held accountable for hearing the whole message about Christ? The thing that the author of Hebrews has been so helpful for us is kind of showing us that, that no one just wakes up in the morning and just kind of looks in the mirror and says, you know what? I'm not a Christian anymore. I don't believe this stuff anymore. What happens is a slow drift of one compromise of sin after another, after another, to where we drift so far away that one day we wake up in the mirror and we say to ourselves, I never believed this stuff in the first place. We have a great warning before us. And in Hebrews 12, in this little last passage, what I want us to hear tonight is to hear about the great privileges that we have and the great responsibility that comes with it. That, that's what I'm talking about tonight in this passage. What are the great privileges we've received and how then are we to live in light of that? What are the great responsibilities that come with these privileges? So do me a favor. Look down in your Bibles again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. What is this great privilege that we have been given? Look down with me at verse 24. So he calls them to look, right? To look. And he says in verse 24, And to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You guys, listen. The first great privilege that we have that the Old Testament saints never had is the true and better 
covenant, the true and better Adam. We have Christ. We have the message about Christ. We have the whole story. We see that in all of the Old Testament, all of these prophecies, all of these foreshadowings leading up to the fulfillment of Jesus' life in his birth, in his life, we have all the news and the information to know about who the true king really is. We know that he was crucified by Roman soldiers, that he died, that he was buried, that three days later he rose again to victorious life. We know that he ascended to his father. We know that our coming soon king can come at any moment. We have a great privilege. And why is that such a great privilege? Because the gospel gives us every single thing that we need in order to live a life that pleases God. The gospel gives us every answer to why we are made. Why do bad things happen? How do we respond when someone treats us with evil intent? Every question of, of, of metaphysics, every question of epistemology, every question of, of, of suffering, the gospel answers that for us. And there's a sense in which, do we truly understand the privilege of being able to hear about Christ? If we're being honest, I think sometimes we might agree to that, but a lot of times it becomes so accustomed. It becomes so common. Another sermon in Hebrews, another sermon in Romans. Oh, it's Blake's turn. Now it's Aaron's turn. Now it's my parents' turn in the car. Right? And let me tell you something, guys. Listen, the absolute worst spot that you can be with Jesus is to be bored with Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying there? I'm not even saying that it's worse to have no understanding of Jesus. No, no, no. I think it's worse to know the gospel, to know who Jesus is, but to be bored by him. And there's a sense in which the author of Hebrews is giving us this warning of, listen, we have this great privilege. We know who Christ is, that he is the new mediator, that he can actually reconcile us back to God. When you think about the culture we live in right now, it seems like this debate of privilege never goes away. And I'm not here to give remarks on socialism or certain activist groups, but here, here I am willing to say this. The greatest privilege that anyone on earth can ever receive is this to grow up in a home to be part of a church to be part of a community where Jesus Christ is preached and taught there could be no greater privilege and with that privilege going to my other point but it seems so natural to go to it now with that privilege what should you do 
be thankful. Right? Isn't that what he even says? I'll get to that point in a second, right? Therefore, let us be grateful. So the first great privilege we have is the gospel, is Christ. But the second great privilege is this, is that we have a great God, a big God. I don't know if you guys read this passage and it seemed a little dark, right? I mean, it talked about God in ways that most people cringe at. Do me a favor, go ahead and look down again at verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched. He's talking about God here, okay? He's talking about God. A blazing fire and darkness and a gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice of whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages may be spoken to them. Do me a favor, look at verse 25. See too that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on an earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. So we sit there and we're like, God is a mighty tempest, doom. He shakes the earth, which is that the shaking the earth is like a very kind of ancient way of saying like, powerful and strong and puts his foot down. What exactly is the author of Hebrews talking about here? Well, remember what I said in the beginning of Hebrews. If you were to pick one book in the entire Bible that you had to live with, that you had to get rid of all the 65 other books and you had to pick one book, which book would you pick? Most people say Hebrews. Here's why. Because you get the most Old Testament with all of the New Testament theology. Okay, So what he's doing here is he's actually quoting the story of the people of God as they came out of Egypt up into Mount Sinai. So if you want, keep one finger on Hebrews 12 and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Now, I want you to know that Blake and I, for the sake of sometimes simplicity... We did not track down every reference there was in the Old Testament because that would have taken a long time. But I think this one is really interesting. Exodus chapter 19. So the Lord is speaking to Moses and he's telling Moses to give instructions to the people, right? And so in Exodus chapter 19, verse 12, let's read this. And you shall set limits for all the people around saying... Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to tell the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day, and do not go near a woman. Now, in essence, here, here's what's happening. Moses is up on the mount of the Lord, and the Lord is like, I want my people to draw near to me. But here's the thing. These people, they are unholy, and I am holy, so you need to go consecrate them. Wash their stuff. No sexual relations. No one can come up and just choose when they want to. They have to come when I say. Right? There's a really good point there about we don't get to worship God how we want to worship God. 
We worship God based on how he has told us to worship him. Now look at this, okay? So they do all that stuff. The third day comes. The anticipation is here. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of kiln. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And what you end up happening, you can read on, is that the people stopped. I don't think anyone can quite picture the type of reality they were living in with seeing this thundering, shaking, smoking mountain where God was speaking back to Moses with thunder. Listen, they were so terrified that they couldn't even go another step forward. They said, Moses, you go for us. You go for us. This God, this great God, who when he speaks, shakes the earth, we can approach him. We don't have to be like the people of Mount Sinai where they looked up to the mountain and they said, no, I ain't doing that. We have this great God who we can draw near to. And this is why he says in verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. You guys, listen. Every single one of us here in this outdoor parking lot, wherever we're at, have been given different sets of privileges. Some of us come from families with more or less money, better or less health genes, more or less stability or function. Some of us come from, you know, just better skills and looks and, and, and just everything. It's just such, such is life. But let me be very clear. The greatest privilege that we can have is to know God. It's to draw near to Him. It's to have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. And the question I have for you guys is, do you actually believe that? Do you believe that truly knowing God is a great privilege? This week, when you were living your life, when you were doing your chores, playing your video games, watching TV, whatever it was that you were doing, do you truly have a priority in your heart that says, my greatest treasure is Christ? My greatest privilege is Christ. I serve Christ. Because now the author of Hebrews shifts and he begins to tell us what should our lives look like what should the great responsibility be because of this great privilege, right? We're going to kind of Spider-Man a little bit here, right? With great 
powers comes great responsibility. responsibility. And what the author of Hebrews is saying, with great privileges comes great responsibility. First thing, look at verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, I didn't bring this up in my first point intentionally. Because clearly, one of the great privileges we have is not only Christ... Not only this great God, but what else? A kingdom. A kingdom. Now, I I kept it for this point because I wanted to make the point here that I believe that becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God is a privilege, but it is also a responsibility. You guys, listen. Oh, I think it's funny right now the news is and every, you know, politician is every election for every politician is the great election, which is going to be the defining moment for the country. I think that's probably been true since 1776, right? Like every election, depending on how you vote, is really going to determine the outcome of of our nation. Right. But let me tell you something. Rome was by far the most powerful nation for the longest time and what happened to it nation after nation after nation the lord rises up kingdoms and he makes them fall and clearly i i I bring up this issue with our time and i don't know how much you watch the news or you watch no news i don't really care there is a sense in which we are being reminded that even as America is so divided, being a Christian, knowing Christ, we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That there is nothing apart from anything that could ever come close to towering down the kingdom of God. And so that's why with a Paul, when I hear politicians say, that if you don't vote for me, you are going to hurt God or hurt the Bible. It's the most incredibly stupid thing I've heard in my life. We have received a kingdom. But with that kingdom comes a responsibility. It goes on here. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Two responsibilities of living in this great kingdom. First is this. Worship. Worship. Um, There is a sense right now that it's really cool and popular to make God just seem like he's all love, all mercy, and all fun. Right, And I'll tell you this really quick. Most youth groups make it a culture within their youth group that, hey, God is fun. God is fun. Now, let me just tell you my my theology of fun. I believe that all good things flow from God. If you've ever experienced anything truly holy or good or righteous, that is a direct flow out of the Godhead. Okay? Now, on a very serious note, some of the greatest things of life, Food, 
sex, money, family, friendship. These are all very good things. And we thank God for all of them. There is a sense, though, if we're not careful, we can kind of warp God into our own little domesticated God where we kind of put him in a box and we think that God just loves you and he wants you to have the best life now and he doesn't ever want to tell you to do anything differently than you want to do. And so we kind of just put God in this little box and God is there just to kind of make me live my best life, me have fun, me do the things that I don't want to do. I think this is very famously talked about in Chronicles of Narnia, right? Where the little girl wants to pet Aslan and her buddy Tumnus is like, he's not a safe lion, but he is good. There's a sense, guys, listen, when he talks here about with reverence and awe, I think that is something that that most Christians need to think more about when it comes to worshiping Christ. Like, I will die or quit before I ever see a bunch of worship just be waving hands, na-na-nas, yeah-yeah-yeahs. And there's a sense in which I don't want to be like so like, man, can never be energetic or kind of like neat. Like, okay, sure. There's a small word for that. But again, most people... When they read about this God in Hebrews chapter 12, about a consuming fire whose voice shakes the earth, what they want to do is they want to divorce God between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament was the God of, you know, killing and wrath and black and his voice shakes the earth. But the God of the New Testament, he just loves us. He just tells me to to do what I think is best for me. And I just want to push us a little further here. I want to push us a little further. Our worship, our goal is to glorify God for the true God that he is. He is a God who is loving and kind and merciful. Yet he is also a God who will not let the guilty go unpunished. Really quick passage, I'm sorry. Um, turn your Bibles a few pages to the right, to the book of Second Peter. I think this idea of, of God is only a God of love and kindness and mercy. That is, th- those things are absolutely true. But I look at look at what Peter says in in Second Peter chapter three. And there's a lot in this passage. I don't have time to go over everything, but I just want to make one point. Second Peter chapter three, verse eight. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, that word any is not referring to any person who's ever lived. That person any is referring back to the people who he's writing to. Very important point, but that's, that's not the point I want to make. Let's go on here. So, He is patient. He doesn't want any of the elect to perish. Right? He loves you. He's gracious. What does he say? Verse 10. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. In essence, here's the thing. God's justice and his hatred towards sin always corresponds with his love and his mercy. The degree to which God is loving and gracious and mercy is the same degree into which God is hating towards the sinner and towards sin. And I say all of this because if we truly understood who God is, our worship should take a posture of reverence and awe. How sad is it that people are willing to take their hat off for a national anthem, but yet in their posture and in their hearts towards God have no reverence or awe either. We serve a consuming fire of a God. And the second thing of our great responsibility, and I've I've been talking about it, I've been dancing around it, is this, that we should be grateful. We should be grateful. Do you understand that the great privilege that we have is simply this, that we will be with Christ forever? That Christ will resurrect our lowly and decaying bodies? That Christ is the true king and he is a king who lays down his life for his people. He is a king who has abundance of patience. He is a king who loves the unlovable. That he is a king who notices the unnoticeable. That he is a king who is enthroned on high, sitting at the right hand of the Father, who is interceding for all of the people in his kingdom right now. He is the good king. And for us to look to any other person, any other country, any material thing, any relationship, for our comfort, our identity, or our strength is simply sin. And so as Christians, we have great privileges. But here's the thing. There's a big warning sign that says, do not grow bored with Jesus. Do not refuse the one who is speaking. Do you understand that God is speaking to you right now? Do not refuse him. Come to him. This week, did you spend any time listening? Did you spend any time talking to him? Did you spend any time recalling all of the good deeds of your King Jesus and why he's worthy of so much praise and worship and honor? Did you spend any time with just reverence and awe before God as you reflect on who he truly is? big warning for youth group kids exposure to Christianity without a true heart of reverence and awe of who God is is a very dangerous place to be 
Are you guilty of seeing the warning sign but just slowly drifting away? Just another message. It's nothing about God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Remember the promises. Remember the privileges. And remember the great responsibility that comes with it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus and the great privilege that we have to be sons and daughters of the Most High King. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us, God, to, to know you. Lord, may we not be ignorant of who you are. God, many times, God, we need to repent for wanting to make you into the God that we want you to be. But Lord, help us, Lord, to look to your word that we may worship you with reverence and awe. You are a consuming fire. We praise all in Jesus' name. Amen.